The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Okay, we're back. I'm in Seacrest Studio. I always feel a little um, this is extra stress in the Seacrest Studio. I like it when I'm down in the the like the the basement of iHeart because it's like this is where I belong. This is where I really. I thrive and flourish, but when I'm in Seacrest Studio with the golden microphone, I realize that I will never, ever amount to that, and it's very, very hurtful. Um, we're back again this week. Uh, thanks so much for, for listening. I'm excited about this week's guest. Um, it's, it's funny because this week's guest, I think... You're going to have some people who are fans of the show who know her from one thing, and then some fans who are going to know her from another thing, and then from another thing. It's We've got someone on the show today that literally has done everything. AJ Mashalka. Mashaka. Yeah. Shit. No, you nailed it. I did because I said I said it wrong both. I said it wrong one time. No, you were great. Your L was just silent enough. It's, it's AJ Mashaka. Yeah, perfect. Why is there an L in there? I don't know. There shouldn't be. What's happening? It's check. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't I, know. I don't love the L. The L confuses people. It's it's that's what's happening right now. Yeah. So the show basically is an origin story show. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, people probably know you from Disney World. People probably know you now from the Goldbergs World. Got a new show. Totally. But I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in how the hell you get to the point of everyone knowing who the hell you are. Because, because I think a lot of people want to be you or like figure out how you did it so they can right. try to replicate. That's sweet. So I want to start in the beginning. Okay. You were birthed. Torrance, California. Torrance, California. 91, little company of Mary. Yeah. <laughs> Born and raised in LA. Um, lived in Seattle for a few years as a kid and then moved back to Los Angeles for my dad's business. And um, during that time when we were living in Seattle, my sister and I 
It's so funny. I just told this story and it feels like so like overplayed, but so many people don't know it. Yeah. I only know it so well, but others don't. Basically, we found um, a pile of junk, junk mail on my mom's desk. Okay. She always would just pile up. She would never trash stuff. She would just literally keep junk mail on her desk. Yep. And at the top was this acting workshop in Seattle, Washington. Okay. And Allie and I saw it. We got really excited. At this point, we're like eight and 10 years old. We see the flyer. We're like, mom, this looks so cool. This is for an acting workshop. Like, this is what we've been wanting to do. My mom's like, this is ridiculous. This is probably some scam. It's like a John Robert Powers. <laughs> it's like, sign your life away. Pay like thousands of dollars to like pretend you're going to become an actor. My yeah. mom was so not into this. Like, no parents in the industry, no family members in the industry. My sister and I totally broke ground. So we begged her for like two weeks. And finally, she was like, all right, I'll enroll you. It was like a six-week course. And at the end of the day, it ended up being legitimate. Like real agents from LA came to Seattle to scout talent. So at the time it was like Bonnie Likey, Judy Savage, like all these talent agents that were really big in like the early 2000s. And so my parents thought nothing of it. They were like, that's great. Judy's interested, awesome, eye roll, sure. We'll never see these people again. We're never gonna be in LA. Cut to my mom's parents pass. Um, we no longer really have a reason to stay in Seattle, Washington, because at this point we've lost some family. And so my dad is like, I don't want to commute anymore between Los Angeles and, and Seattle. I really want to take my family back to the roots of California, where I've started my business. And so we end up back in Los Angeles. And at this point, Allie and I were like, um, this is the place. Like, this yeah. is where we've talked about starting a career. <laughs> And so, of course, we're like, we have to meet with Judy Savage. So we beg our mom. We meet with Judy. She signs us. We end up being with Judy for quite a few years. And um, everything starts from that. And then we had a manager for like 10 years. She was on The Happy Days. We got to know her because we happened to know Gary Marshall. And Gary Marshall was like, I think I have a great manager for you. This woman, Linda Goodfriend. And then from there, just built a team. And now I have my hands in so many things between like music and film and TV and voiceover. But... There is no like wrong or right or formula. Like it's completely random. It makes no sense how it happened. It's just a matter of like two girls being super passionate about something and being like, we're going to take this all the way. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the, I think the common <clears throat> theme and the common denominator of everyone that comes on this show is hustle. Yeah. And totally. And, and it, that's a thing that I think a lot of people, it seems overnight for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But that's only because it happened overnight for that person observing it. Yes. You know, but for the person that's living it overnight is years, years and years. And then when you think you made it, you still hadn't. Yeah. It's now three. It's three jobs down the road is when you think that when it finally like fleshes yes. itself out. Yes. It's so true. When you were. So you said eight and ten when you started doing these workshops or the little school. Yeah. And then we moved out of Seattle at like nine and eleven. So. We really, I mean, we got our feet into like the entertainment industry pretty early because by the time we moved to Los Angeles, it was like, all right, we know what we want to do. And yeah. and at that point it was like, sign with Judy. We had a manager, you know, we were taking acting classes and I booked my first like legitimate role at like 12 on this show called The Guardian on CBS, yeah. which kind of taught me everything I knew. I mean, everything I knew at that point, I, I really was so green. I mean, I didn't even know what a mark was. You know, it's like, stay on your mark. It's like, um, oh, yep, got it. X marks the spot right there. Yeah. That's a T, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> but I remember being so nervous and I learned everything on that set. And then I went on and did this comedy for two years on Fox called Oliver Bean that was really short-lived, but a wonderful show. And 
And then my sister landed a show on Disney Channel, and then we did Cowbells. I mean, so much just, like you said, it's, it's to, the, to a viewer, it's like, oh, that's overnight. But for us, it was years. But we started really young. And I, I personally think that's a good thing. A lot of people think that's a negative because you don't really get, you know, the, the authentic, normal, quote unquote, normal upbringing. For us, it was like we had tutors. We were like touring the U.S. We were playing like 40 cities in like three months. And we were like 16 years old, like bizarre childhood. But I would never trade it. Like it was so fun. It's interesting that like you lived a childhood of a family that's in the industry. Mm-hmm. But you said that your parents were definitely not in the industry. Right. right. Like how do you convince them to like let you guys do this? Cuz if I, I if I same with my parents. My dad's a doctor, my mom's mm-hmm. a housewife. They would be like, "No, you're not going on tour." Yeah, it's what, ridiculous. What are you talking about? You failed algebra last week. You were not going right, anywhere. Right. So how did how did you like take us through that conversation? That conversation was hard because my mom's mom, God bless her, but she really wanted my mom to to try out the industry for herself. And that was so not what my mom wanted to do. Um, my mom was, you know, she was a cheerleader at one point. She was a professional athlete. She was a baton twirler, gymnast, incredible talent, um, but not someone that wanted to be in the industry. Um acting music all of that really scared her in a in a big way but she also truly loved singing and songwriting but never wanted to take it to a professional level and so i think the fear of hearing Allie and i say like this is what we want for our mom i mean this is what we want for ourselves mom can you please make this happen was really scary for her her thing was actually taking it to my dad and then taking it to church like praying about it taking it to our pastor like really seeing if this was something that you know was was absolutely something that if you see your child has a passion do you go for it even if you're scared as the adult or do you just ignore this and for her it was like there's no way I can do that my kids will always regret that I just didn't let them even step foot in this door yeah so I'm really glad that she you know came to terms with the fact that even though it wasn't her dream or her gift originally she let Allie and I pursue it because otherwise I don't think I'd be here what did the pastor say because I imagine the pastor (laughs) would be like Hollywood's full of Totally. Satan. Or, or he was just a pastor that was like, go for it. Your yeah. kids want to be stars? <laughs> go live your life. You know, I don't know. Um, no, it was one of those things where it was like, I think my mom knew that it that it wasn't the like, we want to be stars. It was like a genuine like love for the arts. Like there are so many kids that it's sad because I run into all these young actors, you know, whether it's like something I'm working on or just an event or, you know, something at ABC or whatever. And a lot of these young kids are like, how do I do it? How do I become a star? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like that's the wrong question. Like yeah. I just, I want to like erase their memory of what a star even is and just say, well, what are you into? Like, what do you truly love? And what are you passionate about? And then craft that talent, hone in on what it is and then, you know, grow from there. But I I can't imagine the conversation was negative. I feel like he probably, you know, I remember this pastor well. He probably was very encouraging about it and was like, look, pray about it with your family. If you're going to go to Los Angeles anyway for, you know, my dad's business, it's like this could be something that's a beautiful opportunity for your kids. Yeah. So I had uh, Kate Flannery on the show and we were talking about her like upbringing in the industry and Mm -hmm. kind of similar thing where her parents weren't in the industry and we started talking about stage moms and how I think that that's probably advantageous to be in the industry without a, like a, like someone uh-huh. kind of pushing you maybe 
harder than you want to be pushed right. or pushing in a direction that's not the direction that you want to go in. Right. And I just imagine that it probably behooved you to have that set of parents. Totally. Then adversely, I don't know. I agree. No, I agree 100%. I mean, it's hard. Stage mom, stage dad, it's like, it's such a negative term. And it, it should be. I mean, I've met them and most of them are insane. But yeah. there are some that, yes, they're a stage parent because they have to be on stage. Like they have to be around yeah. the kid when their kid's filming, when their kid's touring, whatever. And so it is sad that it's become this negative thing because I've actually met so many parents that are extremely like, healthy and fun and like not pushing their kid to do something they don't want to do. They make sure their kid does like extracurricular things outside of the industry. Like I've seen it firsthand and my parents were super normal, but like at the end of the day were my parents technically quote unquote stage parents. Yeah. Cause I was super young. I had to have that. Yeah. So, but it's sad. I've met the kooks too. And it's, there's a stark difference. Yeah. It's bleak. It, it seems like you have done everything. You, you go to this school in Seattle it was it primarily an acting school? It was. It was more of a workshop. Okay. So it's like you'd only take a course, you know, you'd take an improv course, you'd take a scene study course. And I think after like four or six weeks, that's when the agents would come down to like scout the work. When did you say, okay, I want to start doing music? Music probably came a little bit before that. Like okay. my sister and I started like a very like <laughs> janky band just in our room at like nine nine and 11. So I guess around the same time. Yeah. Simultaneously, everything kind of broke at once, but also it was staggered. Like our acting kind of took off when Allie booked the Disney show, but mm -hmm. then we didn't get signed till after that, but we had written those songs years prior. So it's, it's weird. Everything kind of landed at the same time, but the music was probably the first, first passion. And I think that is because my mom growing up was a singer songwriter, just, just like, like I said, unprofessionally. Yeah. And so you know, performing in like church plays and school plays and doing duets with my sister and then starting to pick up the guitar and the piano that led to songwriting. And then from there it was like, we, we should be in a band together. Like we do everything together. We love creating things together. We should be taking this, you know, to the next level. When you were a kid, do you remember like having the thought of, well, I could be a, I could be in a band, I could be a musician or I could be an actress or an actor. And like making that decision, because I, I like imagine one, one, one or the other. Yeah, because I would, would assume a twelve-year-old doesn't understand that you could do. I could literally do all of it. You know, you're right. like, I got to focus on one of these things. Did you ever have that that thought process? No, and I, I kind of wish I had because I feel like if Allie and I had maybe really focused on one part at one time in our lives, we'd be even better at it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm like, well. Jack of all trades, master of none is sometimes how it feels. It's like there were so many things we wanted to do between playing guitar, playing piano, working on our voices, working on songwriting structure, wanting to be actors that I feel like when you're a kid and you have so many things, it feels directionless and you actually could have focused on one thing for years. But yeah. then I also feel like we would have lost out on the other part of our career, yeah. which could have been music or could have been acting. So no, as a kid, it was like, let's do it all. Yeah. It's the sky's the limit, which I kind of think is like a, a beautiful way to look at it. But I'm also like, damn, we might have been better than how we are now. What do you <laughs> think? Better at it. Like, what is what is your biggest strength in the entertainment world? And what is your, I mean, I don't think you have any weaknesses, but what are you not yeah. as strong at? Um, We're really, I, I say we, like she's here, because I, I feel like we're kind of on the same page with this. But like, re, I feel like the thing that we like our greatest power we possess, especially towards music, would be songwriting. Yeah. Which 
you know, there's not really anything like it. And it's such a special medium to, to create in a studio from the ground up, something that didn't exist, you know, a couple hours prior, and then take that not only to the recording studio, but then to a live stage, knowing that was built, you know, from you and from your own words and your process is really, really cool. Something I wish I was better at that I probably should have stuck with more and should have honed in just my skill more would be being a guitar player, just instrumentation, you know, working on that guitar every single day. That was something I, I didn't hone in as much as I wish I had. Although it's never too late for that. It's like at this point, you know, I'm 28, but it's like I could become a, a way better guitar player if I just really focus on it. I want to go back to the time of your life in which you're touring the, the country playing music. Mm-hmm. Was that extremely daunting or was it like an ignorance is bliss thing? You were young. You didn't know that this is a crazy thing that you're doing. Um, I think probably more ignorance is bliss. Like when we started touring, we were 15 and 17 and we didn't even realize. I mean, we obviously we were extremely thankful for sure, but we I don't think we understood how how good we had it like we had two buses we had a semi truck behind us we were playing 40 city dates we were selling out really like large theaters small amphitheaters and playing with some really cool people and also the music had really taken off now it's like we're back to square one in some ways like we're independent we're not signed we're doing this our own our you know old school but i feel like Allie and i you know, when we were kids, like you don't you don't realize how expensive it all is, like yeah. what the cost is to bring out a band, to bring out a crew, what it costs to get, you know, a lighting designer out there. Like there are so many little details that, yes, we were blissfully ignorant by in back in the day. And now we're so aware and so keen on like the money we're spending and what's going out the door and what's coming in. And that's important. And that's how you build your business. So the difference between touring then and now is insane. Um but we've also learned a ton and I enjoy touring more now because I, knowledge is power and knowing knowing what you're doing and how you're going about it is, is so much better than just being like, well, I'm signed to a major label and I guess it'll all work out. You know, yeah. that's not really great. This is kind of a bad, um, a bad strand on a desert island question, but I'm going to do it anyways. Okay. Um, you only get to choose one piece of entertainment to pursue going forward what do you choose um oh that's so hard sorry no it's okay i think at the end of the day i obviously i've thought about this because i do have an answer but i i even though it's really hard i would have to say at the end of the day playing live is like where i'm the most comfortable and i have the most fun yeah um i think it's that instant gratification from the fans playing this music that you've created that no one got to hear and now it's like you're launching it live for the first time and then getting into that routine of like playing 40 cities and knowing like you're so locked in as a band there's just nothing like that the camaraderie of the people that tour with us being on the bus being like a close-knit family it's just it's like a traveling circus it's really fun yeah i mean i've talked about this a bunch because i've done i've done nothing like what what you've done in your career but i've done radio shows where it's it's immediate gratification because mm-hmm. you're talking on the air and then you're you're getting calls in or whatever but it's a little bit it's a little bit delayed then i've done tv shows where we filmed it and then that was cool and then i forgot about it and then it airs months down the road and you're like oh yeah that was cool right. and then people like it but there's no immediate gratification and then i've done no. speaking engagements or you know been on stage for things and feeling that energy it's just nothing, nothing quite like it. 
And yeah. so I, I can un, I could kind of relate to your answer, yeah. just in a smaller scale. No, for sure. Um, now I want to like pivot into like all of the acting that okay. you've done. At what moment did you realize I'm pretty good at this? Oh, I don't I don't even know. Um, <laughs> or I, mean, I can do this. I think. So the first show I ever booked, I was like the only kid on it. Yeah. So it was all it was very serious. It was a one hour drama on CBS. It was a, a legal drama about a father and a son who owned a firm together. And it was Dabney Coleman and Simon Baker were the stars. So I was working with like, you know, a total icon. And then this other, to me, icon, who's also brilliant, just a lot younger. And I was playing their adopted, the adopted granddaughter of Dabney Coleman's character. And I think the encouragement of working with someone like him, who's such a hard ass, but also just so knowledgeable about work and authenticity and had worked with so many other child stars and I think understood what it was like to work with like a young girl. He was so refreshing because he taught me so much and he helped me realize like I, I this is a natural talent that I have. Like I, I am good at this. I can carry a scene with someone like a Dabney Coleman or a Simon Baker at a young age. And it's it's weird to like discover that at a young age. You don't one day wake up and go like, I'm talented. You're just like, wow, I'm holding my own, yeah. you know, in, in like, in a, in a, in a scene of like a bunch of giants and I'm actually like, I'm, I'm getting through it. And like, I can take direction quick and I know when to like improv with Dabney. And if he starts going off the rails, I know how to follow him. And you do kind of learn that. And for two years it became like kind of a cycle with me and him. And so that was an incredible, um, learning curve for me. And then I think comedically, I feel like I really unlocked a lot of my comedic talents when I was on the Goldbergs mm -hmm. because it started as such a small role with not really a lot of dialogue. You know, so much of this show is based on the family and everything is about the Goldbergs. And I knew that going in, but Adam Goldberg is a good friend of mine and asked me if I'd come on for a couple episodes, season one. And I said, totally, absolutely. I'll do anything with you. I love you. So I did. And I had a blast, but I didn't really think that role was going to necessarily go anywhere. And then of course I started dating Barry Goldberg and that became a whole thing. And then we got engaged and Beverly became my almost mother-in-law. And there were so many storylines that launched. And so Basically, on that show for six years, I went from a guest star to a recurring to a series regular. And Adam really, like, figured out how to write for me. And so did the writing staff. And, like, they understood my nuances and, like, how I was playing Laney and how I, you know, where I was the straight guy when Barry Goldberg is going insane. You know, so it was like, I think finding that comedic tone and figuring out, you know, what I'm like as a comedic actress was something that was totally unlocked by that show. And then, you know, the spinoff became its own thing. So. Yeah. It's, it's really neat because there are projects where it's like I can remember that moment being like that's like confidence boost. You yeah. know, it's like you're picking up little little gems on your way. Was it daunting going going from kind of doing a, a pretty serious um, role to now doing comedy? Were you nervous about that transition? Yeah, I was because even though like I feel very comfortable with with comedy and improv and and you know, I, I wasn't like strictly doing drama. I definitely, a lot of the, whether it was TV or even film, a lot of what I was doing at the time was drama. And so when I knew I was going to be on a show with those kind of like comedic giants, like a Jeff Garland and Wendy Covey and George Siegel, it was like, okay, like I have to figure out who I am because these people are all going to come in with very strong personalities. And there's also a world where you can't match that. Otherwise you're, you're kind of, 
you're copying someone else's comedic rhythm. And mm-hmm. that's another thing you have to be really careful of is figuring out who your character is and being in a scene where you still obviously want to stand out, but you're like, that's not the goal of this scene. So you have yeah. to know when to sit back. And that's, I think, the most important kind of daunting thing to learn on a set like that with those kind of comedians. But I do feel like um, it was intimidating at first because I was like, gosh, I hope I belong. I hope I can like do Adam like proud, like he's offered me this part, like I want to make him proud. And it, you know, things worked out. The show is so freaking funny. Um, Thanks. Me and my fiance watch it literally all the time. Um, so I was ex- I was excited about this interview. And we're all on the same night. Yeah, I know. Because right? it literally is like <laughs> Goldberg School's Modern Family. I love that. So you watch the whole chain. That's uh, sweet. Yeah. And uh, so then you go, you go from, this is bonkers to me. You go from like bit player, I guess, to series regular to the person who gets a spinoff. Yeah. So. It is bonkers. Yeah. Are you met with any resentment from the other cast that like you're the one <laughs> that got the spinoff? <laughs> so many people have asked that. I, literally the complete opposite. Like really? was met with like. To your face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Behind the scenes, who knows? No, but when, I, when it, when it like first I didn't want to say anything. Like when Adam called me and he was like, we're working on this spinoff. Like ABC really wants to do it, but we're just kind of figuring out the pieces and how we want to recalibrate it and who we want to center around. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Kind of knowing it was going to take place around Lainey's world, but not not fully sure yet. And I, at first I was kind of nervous. Like I didn't want to tell anyone. I was like embarrassed. I was like, I'm not going to like go back to my family at Goldberg's and be like, got my show, guys. You yeah. know what I mean? So I, I felt uncomfortable, to be honest. But no one, once it like came out and everyone knew it was picked up and it was happening, no one made me feel weird. It was the most like loving response I could ever get. Like yeah. Goldberg's, the cast on that show and the crew, it's like an anomaly. Like we're a giant family and we're literally a stage apart from each other on Schooled and Goldberg's. So during lunch, like I'll knock on Haley's trailer who plays Erica or like Troy will come down and do a scene. Like it's it's family. And those guys are always like, they'll text me on a new episode and be like, Schooled is killing it. How are the ratings? Like, love it. It was so good tonight. Like loved the Thanksgiving episode. Like it's really, they just, not only are they supportive, they're like above and beyond. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, I I think there's a, there's a, Blessing and a curse that happens on shows that are very successful. Um, it becomes really, really easy to do that show because you become that character totally. and you can learn those lines and hair and makeup and kind of it's just kind of it's just almost like automatic. Yes. Was there a part of you that was like, I don't know if I want to do this spinoff because then I'm kind of continuing. I'm not challenging myself anymore, I guess. No, it's a good question. I definitely thought about it like before, you know, before I signed on for, for the spinoff, but it was in talks and I hadn't signed on for the first season yet. I definitely questioned like, well, hold on. Like I've played Lainey for like six years. You know, we took her from high school to like a college dropout to now like a failed musician. Like what else can I do with this role? Like how can I make her feel the same because she is the same person. And I don't believe people change that much, especially going from the eighties to maybe five, six years later in the 90s. But I was like, how do I keep this fresh and make this feel like something new? But I think if you have that kind of headspace and you do love the character and you understand what to do with it, there there are ways to grow as an actor, but you do have to be hard on yourself. Like it is easy to get lazy and it is easy to get like really kind of just like rest on your laurels of like, well, I know these lines. I know how she talks. I I understand like the comedy rhythm. Like I get all this, but you kind of do have to bring something new every time. And I feel like whether it's giving a different take every time, 
or improvising a bit or figuring out little things you can do with the character that I never got to do on Goldberg's. Like, I feel way more, like, unleashed doing the spinoff than I ever have playing Lainey, which is cool. So I've actually been able to, like, elevate her in a way. I, I feel like. Like, I'm having even more fun playing her because I'm kind of just going nuts with it. Is there a added pressure to now school because you are the centerpiece? Like, I is it scarier knowing that this is um, your show now? I guess, yeah, it kind of was. Like, season one, for sure. I, now now that we're in the middle of season two, like, I, I do feel so comfortable with that role and the people and, like, the crew and the cast and having, like, Tim Meadows and Brian Callen, who are, like, directly at my left and right side, and then Brett Dyer, who's this added role that we, you know, brought in that was never seen on the Goldbergs. Those guys are so incredible and so funny, and we're all so different, and, and our dynamic together is so different that I don't feel like I'm carrying the show in any way because I'm not it really is like it, it's it's pieced together by all of us yeah I think the biggest thing is like for me it was narrating the show like when Adam asked me you know would you would you narrate the show I originally thought it was going to be someone much older looking back on her life as a as a teacher at William Penn and that it would be kind of the Patton Oswalt Sean Giambroni deal where yeah. he plays Adam Goldberg later and that's where I that's almost in a weird way where I got the most nervous was like how do I make this really special and how do I also give the narration a different tone than just Lainey Lewis on screen mm. and I think I found it um there's kind of a rhythm a little bit that I've that I've picked up that we've kind of kept familiar with like the Patton Oswalt rhythm a little bit but staying true to like who Lainey is um but other than that like it doesn't really feel any different we're all kind of leading the pack on the show yeah Goldberg's or schooled who is the funniest person day in and day out on those sets um oh good question off camera or on camera like who do i think is the funniest on the show or who do i think is yeah, the funniest so, okay so two-part then as a fan of the show who when you watch it back you're like dude he's fine like or she's funny, like, whatever mm -hmm. and then off camera because i feel like the off camera one is the one that i'm gonna want to hear more about that's really interesting yeah um so i'd say my funniest character on goldberg's 100 percent is wendy playing Beverly. I think she's brilliant. I think she's like the funniest human being on television right now. And I would say on our show, I think Brett Dyer is brilliant. And like he, you know, was on a drama for five years on CW and like didn't, didn't really get to like pop his comedic talents for the past six years. Like I, I, like I would have wanted for him, even though it's so silly. It's like he was on a hit show and it was incredible and he was great on it, but I'm so happy that he's now being able to do comedy. Um, and I just think physically he's he's hilarious. He's really smart. He really cares about the work. And I think he's brilliant. I think he's like a young Jim Carrey. Um, I think off camera, just behind the scenes, um, I laugh a lot with Brian Callen, yeah. who plays Coach Coach Miller. We have a blast together. Um, he's he's one of my favorite guys on set. And then I think on Goldberg's probably one of the funniest people is Troy Gentile, who plays Barry. And him and I just have like this ridiculous dynamic probably because we dated on the show for so long and yeah. he's kind of a spaz and he's amazing in the best way. Barry's more of a spaz than Troy, that's for sure, but Troy's hilarious. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I got some kind of weird questions for you. Cool. And um, and then i got to talk to you about what's going to be happening in the future, okay? Okay. Stick around, Wellscat. <laughs> Thank you. 
Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit bartesian.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on the Wells cast. AJ Mashaka, did I do it right? You did it. Nailed it. On the show, <laughs> um, you know her from, I mean, this, this, your resume is very long. <laughs> Schooled, Goldbergs. What do you, when you look at your resume, I mean, I, I assume you don't have a resume, but like, if you had one, <laughs> if you got your Microsoft Word out and uh. you started writing your resume, what would you think would be at the top of your resume right now um probably because it's the most current the 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 two shows probably goldberg's and schooled because that's what people really like know me from right now especially in regards to like my acting career and then honestly i think my music like as a band like ali and aj would probably be at the top like so many whether you got our record when you were you know 
in middle school or you're now in college and you discovered potential breakup song, I guess you would have been like six. Like we'll go to play college shows now and we'll like do the math and we're like, oh, this audience was six years old when yeah. our like biggest single came out and it's bizarre and all the people know the song and you're like, what? <laughs> and now we're making new music again. So to me, that's at the top of the resume because we took a 10 year break and now we're back with like two new EPs and we just played 40 cities this last year and 20 the year before and um, we're about to make a full record that we want to release next year. So I feel like the music and then Goldberg's in school. But then the other thing that I would say would be at the top is Shira and the Princesses of Power, which is this Netflix show that I'm on right now. Because the fandom towards this animated series is like, it's insane. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I'm sure there's been stuff like that. Yeah. But it just feels like a a moment that people are having to like celebrate the old cartoon, but also understand that like this cartoon has nothing to do with He-Man and it's all about these powerful women and it's just like, it's so badass. What do people not know about voiceover work that they need to know about? Um, be patient because you will audition for literally 200 things before you land one thing. I know. It's insane. <laughs> do, you, do you audition for voiceover? Yes, but never anything happens. So, something will happen. Thank well, you for saying that. I'm telling you, something will happen. <laughs> I so I'm really weird. I keep a log of all of my recordings, like all of really? my auditions, which I think is good to go back to if you want to reference something. Yeah. And literally, you you could be scrolling for like seven minutes. I mean, it's like it is tons and tons and tons of work, and you never go back. Like you might have put one audition in, and they never called you back. Yeah. Even to get a callback for a voiceover is like crazy. How does that anyway. like how does that even work? Do they send you like pictures of what's going to happen and Sometimes. Like walk me through that cuz that's so fascinating to me that you can create this thing with something that doesn't exist really yet, right? Like they yeah. they can't they need to hear your voice to know how to make the thing look like that, right? So True. how do you do that? Um well when it's like a campaign there's usually just a description, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. a narrator description. And and that you just are like, well, I kind of know what to do with this. If it's a car commercial or if it's insurance, like, but you also don't want to be too serious. Like you have to play with it. When it's like a character and it's a cartoon, you usually do get like a really kind of rough image. Yeah. So like, I can see what the character looks like. I mean, the thing is you have to, I never want to like judge a character by, by, by its look, but with voiceover, you actually really kind of have to, it's very much like hit the net, hit the nose. What is it? The, hit saying? the nail on the head. Nail on the head. Thank yeah. you. Nose on the head. I almost <laughs> said, you know, the nose on the head. That's saying. Um, so if it's like a nerdy girl, you know, and you can see like, oh, she's got, you know, pigtails and freckles and, and braces. That's so cliche, right? That that'd be a nerd. But for voiceover, it's like, that's most likely what they want you to represent when you, when you give the example of your voice. So to me, it really is about the drawing. And then I'll read the description of the series and then I might get two pages of dialogue, just random dialogue that you have to somehow inform into a scene. Sometimes you don't even get a full scene, but um, I love it. I find it really fun. Sometimes I'll do like two or three takes and send it to my agent and be like, you know, what do you think is best for this? But most of the time it's a crapshoot. You're just, you're just playing. Yeah. Just making something up as you go. How fun is it to watch like a cartoon back that you're voicing? Because I imagine that is... It's cool. Because you're used to seeing yourself on TV, right? Like what you, you, what you look like. Right. Um, and then I imagine it, it's a weird thing of when you see someone else with your voice, it's got to kind of throw you for a loop. Yeah, it does. 
it's weird. Like on this show, I've only done two cartoons, but, and I've been auditioning for a long time. See what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like two cartoons, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's a hefty resume right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so seeing it back, like like Shira, for instance, I play the villain. I play this this character, Catra, who becomes Shira's direct quote unquote competition in the show. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird. Like it's I've never even played a villain in a in a live action show or a live action movie. So hearing my voice and then seeing how they've animated it and seeing how they've like put together a fight scene, it's really kind of thrilling. It's cool. Yeah. Like season four just came out on Netflix and my character has become like really, really bad at this point. Like I'm, I'm super lost, not, not really a good person right now. And it's been really emotional to watch. Like that sounds crazy, but like there were some parts where, you know, Adora, that's who She-Ra is originally, but she forms into this character, She-Ra. Adora and Katra used to be best friends. And there's now like fight scenes where it's like, we don't know if one of them's going to kill the other. And Katra, like playing that role, it's been really emotional for me. Like there are times in the studio where I like start crying. Really? So it's crazy. Like depending on how great the writing is, which our show we've gotten really lucky, it can inform a, a really magical performance just based on how great the dialogue is. Um, but it's crazy to watch it back. It's it's cool to know like for my nephews or like future yeah. nieces or future kids, like that that's kind of a a, a little piece of my career. Do you... Can you self-identify with that character at all? In some ways, yeah. Um, A little bit. I mean, losing yourself, you know, figuring out who you are. Um, I mean, I I don't have a lot of the same personality traits as Katra, but I do feel like there's a confidence to her that I exude for sure. She ends up taking it too far. She always has to be right. I mean, she has some things where it's like she'll double down and she'll make sure she gets what she wants. I don't feel like I'm that person, but I do feel like, you know, the struggle of figuring out who you are as a young woman and who you're going to become as an adult and how your friends change and how your ideas of who you want to be change. That to me is something I think we all struggle with, which is why Catra has been like such an important character on TV for a lot of young girls. Growing up, I was a huge He-Man fan, by the oh, way. Really? You don't understand. Did so. you ever watch Shira? Yes, I did. Oh, that's cool. Um, actually, one of my best friends in college was, we played rugby together, and uh, so he's just a big, big dude. And I was a He-Man man, and <laughs> he was a She-Ra man. And it was just really funny, because I'm like the thin, I was the skinny, like fast guy on the team, and he was just monster. And like That's the, so funny. The back and forth of who we thought, you know, was, was the stronger character was just stupid bar fights but uh i love that. really really awesome okay so i got some weird questions for you okay um describe yourself as only you would in two or three sentences excitable encouraging dramatic okay <laughs> who in your life gets to call you by your first name amanda um my sister my boyfriend and any like old, old friends that I knew in Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Do people think that you and Allie are twins? Yes. Yeah. But that's less and less now. Really? Was that an, an annoying thing or like a nice thing back in the day? Neither. It was just more like a, no, we're not. Like, this gets old. So I guess kind of annoying. <laughs> um, okay. I kind of want to dig into like the relationship of sisters because mm-hmm. I've got a bunch of siblings, but obviously like you guys... You guys worked together. Yeah. Was And still do. Yeah. Do you like working with a sibling or is it harder than just like working with like some random person or a 
colleague. I love it. I actually think the bar in some ways is set higher when you're working with blood because you don't want to let the other person down. And if you're both in a band together, you kind of both have to pull your weight equally so that you're not tearing down not only your career, but the other person's. Yeah. So I feel like our bar is set super high and I think it's great. It's made us better at what we do. But Yeah, but then is there also the like, I don't want to overstep and like outshine thing. So like ha- having, it's almost like scene work where you're like, well, I can't jump over this person's line right. because. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do feel that way. Like, like if Allie starts improvising, you know, a cor- you know, some sort of lick or some long drawn out note when she's live, I know like this is, I can tell on stage, like this is her moment to have that moment. Like don't, don't do anything, AJ. Just just be there. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I do I do think that's important. Like you start figuring out like not only the habits, but the little extra talents that like especially come out live where you can understand like, oh, I don't need to be the one front and center at this point. I'm gonna let Allie kind of be the front man of this one and then vice versa. Yeah. But that's that's hard. That's hard to like gauge and figure out. I mean, she really has particular strengths. Like she's an incredible keyboard player. Um She's a really, really strong songwriter. She's especially really strong with lyrics. So, like, I know what her strengths are, and I know how we balance each other out, and it's it makes, actually, for a really good team. Yeah. I, mean, I would well, never want to be in a band with someone that's not my blood, to be Really? Honest. Yeah, I actually think it'd be really weird. I'd rather be solo than have, like, another dynamic duo with me that's not related. Wow. Yeah. I hope the I hope Oasis is listening to this right now. Mm. Gallagher Brothers, yeah, get it together. Yeah, they should be together. listening to this. They should be. Um, Cowbells was like, was, I feel like the big break on the Disney channel. Do you, what do you, what do you remember of that time and that experience? Um, just a stench, an absolute, where we filmed just reeked (laughs) because we were in, we were in this disgusting, like nothing against dairy factories, but this dairy factory smelled like rotten milk and eggs and cheese. And we had to be in there pretty consistently. So I'm not kidding. The one, the thing I remember best about that movie was the way it smelled. Um, but in regards to like really great things, Allie, I think, learned to drive stick shift on that movie. She had to drive a truck. We got to work with a lot of animals. We ended up becoming friends with a lot of the people that were in that film. Michael Trevino being one of them. Um, and I... I think that movie's sweet. I, I, I haven't seen it in years, but you know, it's come up again because of this whole Disney Plus thing and yep. everyone is like tweeting us and Instagramming, DMing us about it. And it's interesting, like Ali and I have talked about, you know, this is not even in the works yet, but we've definitely talked about like, maybe we bring it back. Like 15 years later, we do, you know, Cowbells too. Yeah. Cause I kind of think it'd be fun. There are so many people out there that talk about this movie and when we were doing it, like we had no idea it would be as big as it ended up being, but um, it's a sweet, it's a really sweet movie. Yeah. I, think, I think people would like a sequel. Disney Plus is changing everything, by the way. It is. I feel like yeah. everyone, my, Sarah's getting so many tweets about like, she's like, I forgot I was even in that thing. Oh, you I'm know? sure. <laughs> because it's also allowing you to see things that you couldn't get on anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure she's like, holy crap, I did this thing like 10 years ago. Do you have Disney Plus yet? No. No? I should. I should get it. I just feel like I know. I feel like ABC should hook it up. I know. That's I, my thought. I kind of think so too. I, I, you know. Yeah. I'm on an ABC show. Give me a, give me a login. There Let's you go. go. You guys don't pay me very much. 
Let's let's we're gonna talk to them about. You know, this. it seems like the least you could do for yeah. us. It's like all right, Disneyland trips, awesome. That's True. a thing, right? And we all get super lucky with that. But it's like all right, subscription maybe. Yeah, that's the next thing. We're not <laughs> asking for much. Nine ninety nine a month or whatever it is. That's what whatever I need. it is. Uh, growing up, who was like a mental or uh, mentor or an idol for you? Um, I don't know. I, um, that's hard. I probably. I think a mentor in terms of like just vocally, just her strength and her and her songwriting and the power behind what she what she did for like country pop was would be Shania Twain. Mm. That was I remember hearing her music as like a young kid, you know, and and trying to emulate the way she sang. And like, I really remember that being a moment as a vocalist that like really, really got me. Um, I think as like a personal mentor. My my acting teacher, who I had for years, who I still work with every now and then, this guy Patrick Day, he was a mentor for sure. Incredibly talented, really gifted, especially with kid actors, just had a way about him that was so fun and exciting, but like also not crazy serious. Like you could be yourself, you could make mistakes. He just made you feel super free in his class. And I remember being in his classes and literally, I think we'd go from like seven to 10 once a week and all of us kids would just have a blast it'd be like a four-hour acting class three-hour acting class um and then my mom my mom was a total mentor and and just like just an incredible human being and someone who's so kind and who's really left behind um so many moments where like friends will stop me and be like your mom did this for me once or like a fan even like many fans have come up to me and said like I'll never forget like I was at your concert like 12 years ago and your mom stood by me and then let me backstage like things Uh like that like our mom has just been a little treasure all around the US during our touring life she's a really cool lady that's awesome yeah who would you like to work with now in all forms of your entertainment life life cycle um, I would love to do, to like, just sit in a room and write a song with Ray LaMontagne. Mm. I just think he's brilliant. And he started his career so much later than expected or so much later than most do. And he's just such a force on stage. It can just be him and a guitar. And it's like so powerful and authentic. It doesn't feel like he's being or emulating anyone. Um, so if, if anything, I, I'd say collaborating wise, someone like, someone like him. And then for acting... I'd love to do to work with like Kate Winslet. Mm. I think she's brilliant. Um, or someone like a Kate Blanchett. Um, I think comedically, someone like a Melissa McCarthy. Oh, it's so hard. It's weird. I, I never build like wish lists of like who yeah. do I hope to work with because they all seem so ridiculous, like so far fetched. Like, really, AJ, you're going to do a movie with Kate Blanchett? Yeah. Really? <laughs> but like, it is fun to talk about. It's like, well, you also have to put that stuff out in you the do. universe. You do. You know? You do. And like to go back to your kind of original point that I, I really loved when you said when you meet these kids and they say, I want to be a star, how to be a star. And you're like, that's not what it's about. You know, it's about really loving something. And if that thing becomes something that makes you a star, great. But at the end of the day, it's really about what makes you happy and what, you know, gives you purpose and fulfills you. And I think Ray LaMontagne is a really good example of that because that guy uh, doesn't give a he's got he doesn't care about being a star. He's also got like a, a, a terrible stage fright like mm-hmm. i've been to shows where he won't look at the crowd yeah. like he doesn't he's not doing it because his ego is getting pumped up he's no. doing it because he has to get this thing out and i think that was just like a really i don't know 
brought it all back That's around right. thing. No, you're no. right. You're right. <clears throat> and obviously I gravitate towards someone like that because yeah. it seems so authentic on stage. It's like he barely talks. It's like, hi, I'm Ray. Yeah. You know, that's, and it. that's it. That's it. It's all you'll hear. And then he'll just make you feel all the feels. And yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, running out of time. Rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. First kiss. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is already online. I, uh, Joe Jonas. Really? Yeah. What? I know. It's so silly though. It's gotten way too much talk about it. So move on to the next I'm one. I'm sorry. I didn't know that. <laughs> no, it's that's, fine. Uh... I'm a Kevin man, so it's fine, whatever. <laughs> Just so you know. I'm Team Kevin. Uh, hashtag Justice for Kevin. That's amazing. Uh, what was your first concert? If you went to, not that you like performed. Um, Leanne Rhymes. Yeah? Yeah. What was your first job? <laughs> a Montgomery Ward commercial. Really? Yeah. And then the company went under, so the commercial never aired. Oh, no. I know. It was sad. You still got paid though, right? I like I got paid. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to say I was the demise of the company. <laughs> you, My commercial. You ruined a, a major franchise. Oh, uh, the first time you got your heart broken. Probably fifteen. Joe Jonas. No, not related okay. to Joe. Okay, good. Mm-mm. Do I have to give a name? No. Okay, cool. Uh, and the Kevin. weird. <laughs> no, justice for Kevin. <laughs> uh, weirdest habit you have. Uh oh, I have so many. I feel like. Um, Oh, I have to be the last person to respond to a text. Really? Like yeah. in, a, in, a, in a group chain? Yeah. It's it's part of my OCD. Really? Everyone who knows me knows like AJ's got the last word. So do people kind of mess with you about that? They totally do. Especially my brother-in-law. Yeah. He'll like, he'll keep at it knowing. Yeah. And and then, and then I, of course, give up. But he knows. He's like, oh, I'm working her. Like, I'm going to send emojis. I'm going to send stuff that's just pointless because I know she's going to want to respond last. Yeah. I'm working on it. Oh, that's funny. And also really weird. It's Didn't weird. expect that one. I know. Um, thank you so much for being on the Wells Thanks. cast. Thanks uh, for having me. Your story's super fantastic. Um, bonkers. Really? Yeah. And just inspiring in like general. That's cool. Okay. I'm like, I'm just Thanks. amazed with people who like, don't put boxes around things like, and don't pigeonhole themselves. And like that, you are the epitome of that. Like you literally have done and can do anything. And I think that's, what's kind of cool about this show is because there's a lot of young people that listen to it are just like, well, how do I do that? And, you know, you're one of the people like, you can do anything you want to do. That's sweet. Because I did it. Yeah, you can. You know? Yeah. Next is Broadway. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to get an goal. EGOT? What's that? No? No? Okay. So, oh, it's, oh, no, it's no a, Broadway for me. No, no. So, an EGOT is when you get an Emmy, a Tony, a oh, Grammy. And a Golden Globe? An no. Oscar. I don't even know. Is that all of them? Did I spell them all right? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sure, I'd love an ego. All right, you got to put it. I, like I, I got to put it out there. Put it out so there. Tony's next. So yeah. Broadway's next. So Kate Winslet, if you're listening, <laughs> help my girl AJ out. She needs an ego. Okay. It's amazing. Um, was there anything that you want to promote or tell people about before we go? Oh, yes. I'm very excited because we're finishing up the last leg of our sanctuary tour. Yep. So my sister and I are doing a week of shows the first week of December. Um, all around the West Coast. So like Vegas, San Fran, San Diego. So if you go to AllieNagy.com, tickets are available. And you can see us. The first show is November 30th at the House of Blues in Vegas. And we haven't played Vegas in like 12 years. Very cool. So come to see us. AJ Machaka, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. 
Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.